last weekend would have been the dentistry, the, the British Dental Conference and Dentistry Show at the NEC in Birmingham. Unfortunately, due to the current difficulties, as they say, that didn't happen. And I've been trying to catch up with a few people that I would have met over the weekend just to get in touch with them, see how they're doing and how they're coping with things. 15 years ago next week, I sold, completed the sale of my practice in Gloucestershire. I was looking at Lilyhead Dental Practice Sales uh, website this morning in preparation for, the, for this, and I saw that Gloucestershire, two practice, small NHS contract, mixed practice, leasehold for sale, which is exactly what I sold 15 years ago. But I do hope they put a bit more. The one I sold is doing a little bit better than that in terms of turnover because I was doing more than that 15 years ago. But there we go. I'm delighted to be joined by Abby Greenhoff, who's a director of Lilyhead Dental Practice Sales this morning. And we're going to talk about practice sales and what's going on at the moment. Now, Abby, welcome. Thank you for having me. Nah, nice, nice to see you. Nice to hear you. Can you tell me something about your background? And I know you didn't necessarily come from a dental background, but how did you end up working for Lilyhead? Well, where did all this start? Um, <laughs> my journey into the world of dentistry and working in practice sales is six years ago now, where I made a big kind of side leap from working with the NHS or in the NHS for 10 years as a qualified occupational therapist. Um, and in that time, I specialised in community work, community mental health, where I spent my time whizzing around the, the inner city Birmingham, visiting patients in the community, rehabilitating, and often shouting through letterboxes to persuade them to let me in the door. So very, very different. And I moved over to practice sales, I guess, still working with people's ambitions, objectives, life goals, but in a different way in a commercial setting. Yeah, a big move. I never imagined myself here, but the opportunity arose. Um, I, I applied and I've never looked back since. No, indeed. You've gone from being sales negotiator or whatever you were to now, now a director of the company. So congratulations. It's obviously gone well. It has gone well. And I'm completely kind of immersed in dentistry, my network of people that I speak to regularly, like you say, at the dental shows, accountants and solicitors and business coaches, understanding things I never thought I would, you know, equipment, what's an autoclave, CBCTs, you know, <laughs> workflow, digital dentistry, and not being an expert in all of those, but understanding how everything fits together. Mm -hmm. I'm completely immersed and socialised into this world now. It's <laughs> great. And, and the business is looking what well, continues to expand. I, could, I was looking at the website this morning. I thought, oh, another newish face. Things are so yeah. things are going well. Yeah, the, the team is building. and The business has been up and running now for 10 years uh -huh. um, maintaining really our core focus which is like I said working with dentists that's the only area of the healthcare profession we work with although Lily before that has got 17 years really working in different areas like optometry and veterinary uh, but really where our focus lies is with dentists. 
I did. I didn't know that much about her background. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously. I don't been, know what attracted her to dentistry. I'll have to ask her. <laughs> there's obviously been a, a growth in sales of dental practices in recent years. The, the supply and demand feature has obviously led to an increase in values. Uh, how? Can you tell me something about? how values are reached. Okay, just to pick up on your point about uh, values increasing, if we track back and look over the last 10 years as a steady upward trajectory of values, and like you quite um, rightly say, that is really born out of supply and demand Mm -hmm. principles. Um, Practices were the, the norm was for them to change hands at sort of 80, 85% of gross. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, if it's something really exceptionally profitable, uh, practices have been changing hands from anything of an average of about 135% of gross and sometimes an extraordinary quality or profitability, you know, 270% of gross. And we'll, we, are, we have seen the, the highest values um, ever really historically in dental practice sales and that's really born out of competition Mm -hmm. i think that the the corporates there's been a lot of demand between the corporates at the top end of the market which has been driving prices up and also you know with 500 practices changing hands every year it's often you know you've got multiple buyers shoulder to shoulder bidding for the same practice Um, So the competition is high and they're bidding higher to be able to secure that practice as long as it still makes sense for them to do that. Hmm. So they've they've never been higher. Um, And in terms of reaching valuations, I think the big focus now is less on the sort of old way of percentage of gross pennies in a pound. It's more about profitability. Um, and that is really what the banks are looking at because they want to make sure it's sustainable, that they're still going to get their loans repaid and it's not going to send somebody into bankruptcy really. Mm, And it makes sense for an investment and people can still, you know, draw enough money to pay for their, you know, life, their mortgage, their cars, their holidays, you know, their bills and stuff like that. So there's a real focus on, um, profitability and financial performance. So that's the, one of the core things, really, is the performance of the practice and how much profit it is making. And then when you're looking at evaluation, then there's a multiple that's applied to that profit to reach the sale price or to reach the valuation price. Mm-hmm. And that multiple is set by recent data um, for what that type of practice is sold for in that location. Yeah. So that forms the, you know, the, the, the setting of the, the valuations. And I think that the, one of the other biggest factors, it's never truer, location, location, location. If you look at the variables and sale prices, it's main, mainly driven by geography. Yeah. Uh, and that is still true. But I think there's a bit more to that. And that's where a professional valuation comes in, you know, rather than flinging your um, figures over to an accountant where they could look at, you know, the EBITDA and what the multiple would be based on a big data set, but also a SWOT analysis, really, that thinks about the factors that influence the security of that goodwill. You know, is that business sustainable? Are those patients going to keep coming back? Because that's essentially what you're paying for. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and we look at income type, how secure is that? So is it NHS, clan, private? Who performs that income? Is it down to a range of associates or is it all on the principal, which is considered you know, a little bit more risky? The types of treatment you're delivering, the physical position, is it first floor, is it shop front? You know, in, you know how well the practice has been invested in, is the reputation good? Is the stability of the team a feature? All of these things come into the mixing pot, really, that influence, you know, what level of confidence you have that that goodwill is going to be secure after it's changed hands. And that is based on experience, really, um, and taking practices to the market and understanding what buyers are willing to pay and what banks are willing to support. Of course. You mentioned a word or, a, or an acronym there, EBITDA. Could you just translate that for me, please? EBITDA is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation and amortisation. And essentially what that is, it's the true net profit of the business when you've taken out um, costs that your accountant would put in, which are allowable um, to you know deal with your tax liability. So like amortisation, depreciation and interest that aren't applicable to the person and that's going to take over that isn't really a true expense of the business so you're pulling all of those things out and actually coming up with what is the true profit of the business okay so that's a why is that that become so important why has it become so important i think it's because practices perform very differently you know you can have a practice that on the face of it looks quite similar in terms of what they provide, the level of revenue that they generate. But actually, when you look at the performance of the business, the way it's run, the way the associates are paid, the, you know, how they spend on variable costs, how well, uh, how efficient the, the machine is running, really. You can have similar businesses with a 1 million turnover one might be making £200,000 um, profit and then another one could be making 70000 and, you know, the principals working their fingers to the bone really for, for, for not much more than they would get as working as an associate. So it's, it's really an indication of the performance of the business and um, how sustainable that is. So come back to uh, gross vanity, profit sanity. Um, yes. Yeah. It's, yes, it's it's not what you gross, it's what you take home that counts. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a percentage of what as well, you know. So yeah, yeah you can work really hard but not be profitable. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so that that is the new way of looking at things. Yeah. yeah, yeah a, and also banks we need to know uh that, that you know from this profit, this associate, can I take drawings of fifty thousand from this business? Can they still payment obligations of 20,000 a year and is and add on a safety buffer to make sure you know that the, the bank are going to be paid back really and the uh, the associate it makes sense and they're not just buying themselves a job yeah gotcha okay th yeah. thank you so how are things at the moment obviously we're in the middle of a a very well I hope we're in the middle or with luck towards the end of a very strange period with COVID-19 and, and a lockdown and so on. How, mm -hmm. how, how are things being affected by that? Well, we're actually busy at the moment. And I think that's been something we have seen over the past couple of weeks. Initially, 
um, with deals that are in progress and you know new deals being agreed it was almost like a blanket had been thrown over everything and it, it just ground to a halt mm-hmm. um, our new world is pretty much on video on zoom Mm-hmm. We are still connecting buyers and sellers through virtual methods, as we are today, um, through virtual viewings where there's walk-rounds of practice. Uh, our, our owners are becoming video experts too, and then we're holding a lot of Zoom virtual viewings. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, So that's in the short term. We're still seeing interest and we're still seeing demand. We are monitoring values very closely. We're talking to banks, we're talking to the corporates, we're talking to buyers, we're talking to sellers and trying to understand what the impact of dentistry on the way that dental practices operate when they come back to work and what impact that will have on buyers' appetite to buy mm-hmm. and lenders' appetite to lend and you know what will happen to valuation. So we're looking at all that closely and what was true last week is old news <laughs> you know yes. uh, it's it, it's uh, today's chip paper really so it's kind of things are changing and you know some people are very pessimistic but we simply do not have enough evidence to say that valuations have gone down at this stage mm-hmm. because we've only as i spoke earlier we've only got the data set because of when deals are done to, to actually set where prices are and until we get a substantial amount of deals actually completing or offers being made, we haven't got that new data to decide and make those decisions or understand what the market is willing to pay, if that makes sense. So mm, yes. we haven't got a firm hold of that yet. We have had some deals complete, Alan. Mm-hmm. Um, but compared to last year, you know, that's very different in volume. Um, and um Practices really and completions have been shunted forward until the doors of dentistry open up again and buyers and sellers understand what that's going to look like. And really, if you think about it from a valuation perspective, we were talking earlier, weren't we, about it's really about profit, profit, profit Mm -hmm. and a multiple of that profit. And I don't know, people must be talking to you about how revenues might drop and mm, yes. costs will go up. Is that what you're hearing from dentists? It is, it is, but it's, it's all, you know, smoke and mirrors at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So if that is squeezed, if those, you know, the, the, the bottom line is squeezed and we're applying a multiple to that profit, you know, by virtue, you could say that valuations could go down. But really, if that's a temporary situation <laughs> and, you know, you see a recovery pattern, um, that that period where you know the accounts aren't doing as well will be ignored because as long as we can confidently say this is where things are going to settle um then you know valuations will go on you know restored profits and ignore the period where we've had this extraordinary period of distress (laughs) you know uh, that will be ignored from a valuation so we're watching things very um carefully what we're seeing alan is more and more interest from buyers um probably a distinct type of buyer at Mm -hmm. the moment i think yes Uh, they're either buyers that are very confident in what they're buying because they've done it before they've bought they've had a group they've sold you know and they are looking for potential opportunities there's no doubt about it you know, so, they're looking for, can we acquire at a lower price? Yeah, these, these and, and they're, they're presumably they're people who, yes, as you say, who've done it before, they'll, so they'll almost play at being venture capitalists. They get something, build it, 
presumably with a view to increasing its value and selling again or or taking an income from it yeah um, a lot of you know and the corporates are offering on practices as well um, mm. is what we're seeing they're still very much interested but we're seeing that the corporates are and buyers generally even if they're less trained buyers because corporates are trained buyers aren't they they want mm. to you know buy practices at a good quality for no more than they really have to pay for them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the only reason if we're honest that they pay you know they've been going up and up in prices because it's in the face of competition so really what we're seeing is maybe a bit more comfort on the buyer side to mitigate some risk that they're Mm -hmm. seeing in terms of where you know recovering practices so Maybe they're looking, we're seeing their multiples go from about typically 8.5 and 9 that we've seen across mm-hmm. the market, which is huge. You know, yeah. it's extraordinary. Yeah. Getting back to what they were maybe a, a couple of years ago, sort of seven, uh-huh. seven times the profits, and maybe introducing a bit more guarantee on their side by featuring more deferred payment to mitigate their risk or um other buyers thinking about you know some conditions to their offers in terms of revenue restoring mm-hmm. yeah yeah so the, the buyers are wanting a little bit more on their side <laughs> to deal with potential risks really yes. but they are still looking there's um a lot of um interest out of there and also from the other end of the spectrum um I, I don't know. Do you speak much to associate dentists? With I your do. Coaching and helping look for yeah go go yeah. Practices? This is this is actually this is one of the things I was going to ask you about. So please carry on. Yeah, I think what we're we're seeing is we're hearing from associate dentists that have always maybe held that ambition to own a practice for whatever reason that might be, autonomy, clinical freedom, you know, business ambition. Mm-hmm. those reasons are still there. They want to make sure they're buying at the right time. But what they are looking at is they've been left out in the cold in some cases. Yeah. You know, some, some associates are getting very different treatment from the practices they work in. Yes. And yeah. they yeah. are feeling, you know, out of control of their destiny yeah. and um, also left out in the cold because they're not necessarily eligible for any government support. Um, and they're not getting paid, particularly if they're fully private. And in some cases, you know, there's, question marks about how people are getting paid on the NHS of course. Um, and they're feeling left out in the cold stuck between a bit of a rock and a hard place so you know it's actually ignited some of their ambition I think um, to buy a practice as long as they feel that they are you know buying it at the right time at the right price yeah I, I, I believe this is a this will act as a catalyst for people who've been wavering and thinking can I afford that should I do it is is now the right time and of course it's always the right time or it's never the right time, depending on uh, how you look at things. And I think we've been working with buyers, you know, that have been uh, looking for, you know, years. And it's a bit like, I don't know if you've seen that program, location, location, location. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they've got a, a list of the ideal practice as long as their arm. Uh, and that isn't ever going to come up, you know. <laughs> uh, but I think there'll be more practices to the market and maybe buyers are going to, you know, have choice of uh, more practices to look at and maybe they will have to be prepared when they step in there to take the, that business for a bit of a journey. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm always amazed when people say, oh, well, I've got to live in London. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, but you've got, you know, you've got to take what London gives to you. I was looking at your 
at your website this morning and there's a, a mixed practice in Somerset, three surgeries, it's a relocation, stroke retirement, uh, no local competition and it's selling for just over a quarter of a million. Now, well, that sounds ideal. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> you know, a, a mixed practice in a rural area. What could be better? Do you really want to live inside the M25? Well, I mean, I wouldn't. I, you know, I'm, I'm halfway up a hill in Ireland, but that's by the way. On the other hand, the, there was another one in Oxford. This, these are your two most recent uh, practices. Yes. Uh, nine surgeries, well-established private practice, a bit over two million. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm sure that would attract a certain sort of buyer. Well, you know, I thought about one or two of the corporates, but but certainly there's there should be should be things available for for anybody who's got a bit of ambition to go out there and and get it. Absolutely, there's a practice uh, for everyone. A bit like dating. <laughs> dating. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I think that you know it's a huge range. You know, from sometimes practices where it's a single-handed practice. You know, a, somebody's got an opportunity, then it can be selling from £75,000, you know, all the way up to, you know, multi, multi millions, which would obviously fall mostly in the corporate camp. Of so Opportunities for everyone. But um, I think that the same practice, it, again, that's a sort of representation of demand. If you look in certain rural areas, um, Dentists typically are, I suppose, between 30 and 40 that are looking to buy practices. There's always extremes. You know, we've mm-hmm. got somebody at the moment who's in their 50s buying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's in Somerset. So maybe that's <laughs> indicative of where you want to be at a certain mm-hmm. time of your life, you know. But then, you know, we've got some people that just come out of um, university or their FD year and they buy straight away. So there are extremes. But typically they lie between 30s and 40s. And what we find is those dentists have got quite clear ideas of where they want to live and work and it, they want to be in the city. They want to be yeah, where there's more excitement going on. And the, the other factor to think about is, you know, unless you're going to work in that rural practice on the coast, people are worried about, you know, how do I get associates and how do I get hmm. dentists really? But that's a whole other topic, isn't it? Because, it, you know, that dynamic of recruitment might change a little bit. Going it, forward. Absolutely. Yes. And, Yes, we, sh- we shall see. This is where I hold my hand up and say, I sold my practice without using a broker. I had a valuation. I didn't like the valuation very much. So I upped a fair chunk onto it. Had a word with somebody one night at a, somebody I used to refer patients to for implants. And he had an open evening, asked me how I was doing. I said, you know, I'm looking to get out. And he said, oh, right, okay. The next day I had a phone call from somebody who said, so-and-so tells me you're looking to get out. Yes, can I have a come and look at the practice? He did the next day and we shook hands on the deal that day. Now, can I say I would never dream of trying to sell a practice without using a broker anymore. It has got so complex in 15, 15 years since I did that. And I'm sure you would agree, but there are still people who would be tempted to. And being dentists, they they often think, oh, I can do that in the same way as I can do my accounts and I can fix my machinery. So why why should they use a broker? I think just picking upon your point, I think it's a very, very common thought, Mm. you know, why should I use a broker? 
because people that are generally retiring either set up their practice from squat or they had a handshake over a, a beer in the pub, yes. walked into their high street bank, said, no problem, have the money. Due diligence was very, very minimal. You know, off you go on your practice ownership journey, really. Yeah. Uh, and that's pretty much the way it was. So people often overlook the reasons why that can be more complicated or fraught with danger really now. And mm. um, I think one of the primary reasons as well is it's your only, it's probably your biggest asset that you will ever have as an owner. And by, you know, our primary reason that we're in business is to make sure that we give owners the maximum choice of the type of buyer who is most credible who is most financially secure and who is most likely to get the deal over the line. So it's about presenting choice, a range of buyers, a range of terms. And it's also about, we know that we're there to beat the markets, you know, and uh, that's why quite often, you know, buyers don't always, uh, they know that as soon as there's a broker on board that they've got competition. So they have to put in their best bid and, you know, be paying more for a mm -hmm. practice. So it's about securing the best, best return for your biggest asset that you have. But it's also understanding how to prepare. Yes. So, yeah. And I think it's all also about, you quite rightly alluded to, it's a complicated process, which means there are lots of hurdles in the way or potential pitfalls to navigate in the process. So we work with vendors often for five years or more before they sell thinking about how can we get your business in the best possible shape so to avoid those pitfalls but also to make it as attractive as you can to get the best price but we're also working with them to think about their property how could that be an issue what do we need to sort out mm. um, have you got you know all the right um, contracts in place that you need to to make it a tight package is there anything that will potentially turn a lender off or a buyer off that can be dealt with? So it's about preparation, but it's also about not having your, you know, wasting time on a buyer that doesn't get to fruition. And we see this demonstrated a lot in kind of private sales in internally in practices. And we, we have brokered lots of sales between owners and associates because the dangers are that if you do a private sale you're not getting market value you then have a, a an associate or a colleague saying yeah yes 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 i want to buy it and then nine ten months down the line saying my circumstances have changed you know i don't want to do it anymore and they've got no skin in the game they've got no deposit they've got no financial commitment um, so, you know, it's about making sure you get the market value and that the process is managed all the way through in terms of, you know, what needs to happen in week one, two, three, four, five, six. And if that isn't happening, if that CQC isn't happening or the funder underwritten terms aren't there and we haven't seen evidence of them, you're going to be in a problem uh, in month four, five or six. You know, you could still be there at month nine and it all could crumble down and, you know, not come to fruition, really. So preparation. Uh, best price and it's about giving you choice really I think and I think going back to the corporates you know they might come in with a good deal that makes still makes sense for you makes sense for them on the return of investment but as soon as you get them in competition with each other you can guarantee you will get better a better price and better terms absolutely and 
deal with deal with somebody who's used to dealing with purchases i think is, yes. is the reason. and yes. i i started this by saying you know we went within three days we'd agreed a price and shook hands on it the sting in the tail of that is it took more than a year for us to complete mm. i'm not sure that would have happened and, and he had finance in place and i was willing to go but it just dragged its heels and i'm not sure that would have happened if i'd been using a broker because i'm sure there would have been somebody to just push things along it's momentum it's maintaining momentum uh it's really key because if you don't people get tired emotions get strained oh yeah there's a lot more potential for things to crash and burn yeah absolutely Uh, and it it felt like that a few times but eventually you know it fell over the line rather than ran over the line you know Ah. yeah so Okay, I've got to a point where I believe I've had enough of dentistry and I'm looking to get out. Uh, I believe my pensions and so on will keep me in reasonable comfort or or I've just had enough and I'm looking to move career. So I'm thinking about selling. What do I do? I'm going to look at this a little bit differently because, you know, all of the brokers are churning out um, and we would. It's our normal, you know stance because we're in a different environment now aren't we and it would be you know get a professional valuation which still stands and get in a specialist accountant when dead and specialist solicitor and that still counts but just thinking a bit more about the current situation if you're Mm -hmm. thinking selling in the next few months or next year it has never been more important to know your numbers Uh and because historically people were satisfied and banks were satisfied with seeing accounts a year old or you know uh, or not having the numbers right at their fingertips but you you as a dentist have been more acutely aware of your costs than you have ever been you've probably been putting together P&Ls and cash flows and management Mm -hmm. accounts so keep monthly management accounts now if you're selling now and it's going to complete in the next nine months to a year you're going to be have to show monthly figures that's showing your recovery and that you're back in profit for that deal to complete um, and the banks are going to want that too so you need to be able to show recovery and profit that's very important in this changing environment and I think focus on your recovery you know taking a step back uh, if you're a practice that's able to demonstrate that they have navigated through this situation um, and come out in good shape mm-hmm. you know by communicating with your staff your patients, you know, part of retaining your patients is about communication and that goodwill that you've got with them. So if you can show that you are, you know, you have handled this situation well and you're still in profit and you are a, res- you're a resilient practice, I think that's going to rise you to the top of the pack in terms of your attractiveness to buyers and to buyers out there and to banks. I think also to add something to getting a professional valuation it's really important and don't you know your accountant might give you some advice but they're not got their finger on the pulse on the market so you know be cautious of other professionals doing valuations for you get one from a specialist broker but the thing is at the moment it's got a shorter shelf life so if you've got your figures now or more recently you will need to repeat that more often to see how that might have changed in response to the the current environment mm-hmm. that's how great. things might change yeah. i think now more than ever it's important to develop your sales skills as an owner 
because essentially you are a seller. You're selling something, you know, with our help. We're, we're, we're there in the background supporting that. Um, but in a potentially buyer-led market, you're going to really have to elevate yourself to the top of the pile and focus more on those things that buyers are looking for, you know, quality um, and what a lender's looking for to be able to support a deal. So like we said, looking at your profits and your finances, but also looking at the, the practice as a whole through buyer's eyes and trying to behave like a seller, if you like. And I think that also, you know, in don't panic. I think there's definitely still a lot of uh, demand out there. Don't make any snap decisions. Um, but most of all, kind of engage the specialists. It's really about getting that key team around you who can tell you what to do, when to do it and how to do it. And, you know, work together as a team based on trust. Yes. That's the, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's the key thing, really, getting the right advisors. Yep. Yes, that's great. Thanks. And OK, I'm an associate. I've taken a long, hard look at myself over the last couple of months and I've decided that I don't want to be at the whim of principles and so on. So I'm looking to buy. My job at the moment is fairly secure, at least I hope it will be when we go back to work. But I'm looking at my future. What what should I be doing now and over the next, say, three to six months? I think it's always good to start with a list of your motivations, really, of why you want to do something and hold that close to you yeah. once you get deeper into your search. Start with why. Yeah. yeah, start with why you want to do it and then come back to that when you're looking at opportunities that are out there and is that actually going to give me what I want, you know, and what I need and... I think that's really important. Start with the why, as you say. I think it's also important to focus on business skills. If banks are going to be tightening up and perhaps want more quality proposals Mm -hmm. to lend against, they are going to be looking at you under a microscope as an associate. And thinking on focusing on business skills, there's a lot of webinars out there at the moment, you could be understanding about from practice ownership, you could be tapping into those to, you know, business skills um, from coaches, what you, you know, what you, Mm -hmm. what you need to equip yourself with. Um, I think working on understand on your CV, HR, maybe leadership training, because I think that's going to be key in taking practice forward is how your leadership skills and communication so really work on those things um, while, while you've got the time or even when you've gone back to work. I think understand what you're buying is important. Um, you know, what is goodwill? You can't really touch it. <laughs> you don't feel it. <laughs> so I think it's really important to educate yourself on what makes a, you know, what goodwill is, um, what makes a secure purchase. Um, and I think you can do that by engaging specialists like finance brokers, accountants, business coaches that actually get you, get you to answer some of those questions about what are you really buying um, and lifting up the bonnet and finding out actually what is this? <laughs> uh, you know, what am I buying really? Like buying a car, actually getting, you know, you know your AA person out there to, to, to do it the the three the, 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 the three hundred point check or something yes. or whatever I, they I, do. I, I have disappointed so many prospective buyers yeah. over the years by saying you do realise they've said this and what it actually means, do you? I, I've also saved people a lot of money. 
and a lot of heartache mm. just by yeah. just by looking it tends to be love at first sight doesn't it it does and the rose tinted love glasses yes. can come down and you can't see the you know the cracks in the walls and you know the the japanese not weird growing up the side <laughs> of the house oh, yes <laughs> No, and I think so it's education is important, uh, working with uh, the correct advisors, but also be prepared if there is going to be more practices that are to the market because perhaps the owner hasn't got the mental, you know, emotional resources to carry on or the financial resources um, or there's some sort of barriers. Maybe be prepared not to, to pick up the not the perfect business mm-hmm. um, and you will need to work on that business to build it up. So if that's your strategy, think about how you would do that. And I think also, I sort of picked up on this bit of a crossover, but do your initial DD. Time spent in reconnaissance is never... DD meaning? Due diligence. And I think there's the formal due diligence, which is what your solicitors do with piles of questions about everything you could ever think about about the business. Ah, yes, this, this thing this, that sounds like a brick hitting your desk. And you've yes. got to really yeah, that's actually one of the most challenging things for sellers, really. And, you know, to add a sixth to the top tips, really, for sellers is if mm-hmm. you can crack on with that now, That's this is the time to do it before you've got your head in the mouth and you're managing, you know, opening up again. So mm-hmm. do that now. It's big. It's time consuming and it will save you a lot of time. But from a buyer's perspective, what I mean about the initial DD is the softer factors, you know, maybe mystery shopping or driving past at different times of day. Yeah, driving past the practice at different times of day, looking at the website reviews, um, just really understanding what you're buying and doing your initial fact finding about reputation and those kind of things and also be prepared to know how much deposit you need and I think it goes back to associates positions right now if you're not earning you may be eating into your cash reserves to live and that coupled against that the banks might ask for more cash contribution and your cash diminishing you know how are you going to fill that gap Um, Mm -hmm. does that change what you are able to buy in terms of budget so understanding what the new cash contribution requirements are is, is important. Although there is still, you know, quite a lot of um, money people have got to invest of their own cash or family money. So, mm-hmm. yes. you know, we don't anticipate values going down hugely, but there may be more demand for people to fill the gap themselves. So understanding what level of cash you need is is a good place to start. You've been listening to the Incise Ledge podcast with me, Alan Rees. And my interviewee this morning has been Abby Greenhoff from Lilyhead Dental Practice Sales. Abby, many thanks for taking the time in your busy day, and, and I know you are, to, to come and talk to me. I'm looking to sell. I'm looking to buy. How do I get in touch with you? It's simple. Drop us a line or an email on 033-772-0654 or team at lilyhead.co.uk it starts with a conversation a confidential chat anything that's on your mind from a buyer's point of view or a seller it's more important than ever to talk to people because we find ourselves in a, a changing environment week by week day by day so take care thanks abby thanks thanks great to talk to you lovely lovely to catch up with you too alan
that should be fine. So I'm going to press yeah. stop recording.